Um, but it's a pleasure and a privilege um, to be able to welcome Bishop Paul to our um, church community and our church family this morning. Um, Bishop Paul, we've laid two seats out. Why don't we give Bishop Paul a round of applause? So um, Bishop Paul shared with us um, this morning at the nine o'clock, he, uh, he preached for us. We have recorded that preach, so if you want to hear Bishop Paul teach his way through the Bible, then, um, then make sure you catch that sermon online. But we thought it would be really helpful and really interesting for us this morning um, to find out a little bit about Bishop Paul, a bit about his journey of faith and what, um, what life is like as a bishop. So thank you so much to all of you who sent questions um, in. We're going to start with the most important question, Bishop Paul, which came from Mo Rothwell, who wanted to know, do you still like whiskey marmalade? Whiskey marmalade. I tell you, do, do you know, one of the things about this church, I came, you had a pop-up sort of mission thing. It was, was it around Christmas? Anyway, it's, it's some years ago now. And in the sermon, I said, do you know what? You can't get older whiskey marmalade in Liverpool. And my wife loves jars of whiskey marmalade on my doorstep. If there's anything that proves that this church is a flagship church in the Diocese of Liverpool, it is your whiskey marmalade ministry, friends. Don't miss out. And just for the record, yes! Has she actually, oh, go on. God Very is well good well. all the time. <laughs> Fantastic. So brilliant. Can I, can, I, can I just say that, that the Christian ministry is not dead in Liverpool. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much. I'm, I'm, I've been blessed already. My wife is the one who homes in on the whiskey. I just like the marmalade, so that settles for me. That's great. I've been, um, I've been saying for years, Bishop Paul, how much I like iPads, but no one's ever, <laughs> ever brought me out an iPad. It'll do you good to do without. Isn't that right? It'll do him good yeah. to do without. Yeah, says the man with two jars. Nice yeah, one. yeah, well, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> Bishop, Bishop Paul, I'm sure you're a recognizable face to lots of people in our community, but they might not know your, kind of your story, where you grew up, and what brought you to Liverpool. So, give us a whistle-stop overview, if you can. Thanks, Jim. So I'm 68 years old. I was born in 1953 in Yorkshire, in Bradford in Yorkshire. Uh, my my, my mum and dad were churchgoers. My dad was church warden in our local church. Uh, and, and I sang in a choir. The last time I could wear a silver medal around my neck was when I sang in a choir as a child. And, and, and that was in the late 1950s, early 1960s, so a long time ago. And, and then um, I, I became a teenager and, and I started reading all different kinds of books. This was in the mid-late 60s, so it was kind of flower power era. And, 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 I, and I kind of gave up on the Christian faith, turned my back on it, and, and, and kind of went my own way a, a, a little bit, like a, like a lot of these snotty-nosed teenagers do. Anyway, um, I, I then went to university. I was the first person in my uh, family ever to go to university, and, we, and I went to university in Birmingham. And in the middle of my time in university, my mother fell very ill. She had cancer of the breast. And, 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 uh, and, and, and the family was all a bit shaken by that, and I was a bit shaken up. And, and, and so I had a bit of a mental breakdown, really. I, had a, I was very anxious. I, I, I had to go and see the doctor a lot. And, and in the middle of all that, I, 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 was, I was desperate, really. I didn't know w what life was all about. I'd given up on the faith that I'd received as a child. I, 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 I was floundering, frankly, friends, I was floundering about. And, and I came uh, to meet a couple of people at the university where I was in Birmingham. 
and they were Christians. And, 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 and they, they introduced me to a, a, a Christian group of people who asked questions and who prayed for each other and who helped each other out. And because of that, I gave my life to Christ in my own right. There's a, there's a guy, um, a, 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 a Metropolitan Antony, he was a Russian uh, archbishop, and he used to say, God's got children, but he doesn't have any grandchildren. In other words, you can't be a child of God just because your mum and dad were. And, 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 I, and I started off as, as a grandchild of God, and God's love for me never went away. But when I became a, a, a Christian in, 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 on my own basis, I became a child of God, and that was when I was at university around 18 years old. And at the time, I was going to go and work for the BBC, and uh, my first degree was in drama, and I was going to, to, to do that, and, 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 and that was my career all mapped out. And, and then I thought, what, what actually, what should I do if God loved me so much? What could I do for God? And, and I, in, in the end, it seemed to me that the right thing to do was to offer myself for Christian ministry. So, so I did that, and, and, um, uh, and, and, and that was a long time ago now. So in 1975, and, 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 I, and I offered myself for ministry and training in the church, and I did that in Birmingham as well. And, and then in 1979... Uh, I was ordained, and I've been in Christian ministry ever since, up and down the country, up in Newcastle, down in London, down in Southampton, uh, and then I went to work for the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, swanning around the country telling people, well, giving people advice that they never took, and, and, then, and then they asked me to be a bishop uh, 12 years ago, and I, and I did that for a start down in uh, Hertfordshire, and, and was an assistant bishop down there, a bit like Bishop Beverly is for us up here. And then they asked me to come up here. I, I, I didn't know the Northwest at all until then. Uh, I, I'd, I'd never lived or worked in Liverpool, but I was made ever so welcome. That was eight years ago, and I've been here ever since. That's my story. Wow, fantastic. You, you mentioned before, Bishop Paul, going through a period of time where you struggled with your mental health. Can I ask you about that just, just for a moment? I'd, I'd love you to share with us what, what you do to stay well and to stay whole, because kind of story of um, working on our mental health is really familiar to us as a church community. So what, what do you do to stay well? Thanks, James. I mean, it, it caught up. It might be true for some of you like this. It, it, it caught up on me. My mum mom wasn't very well. She, she, she was dying, actually, of, of, of breast cancer. Suddenly, there's a disaster in your life, and you think you can stand on. So you, you think you've got something to stand on. Suddenly, there's no ground to stand on. And, and I was anxious, and, 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 I, and I had to have tranquilizers and stuff like that. So the first thing to do was just to admit that I had a problem. And, 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 I, and I, had, no, I, I, I didn't have any problem in admitting that, because without, without that, I would have been uh, desperate. So sometimes ever since, it, it, especially if work piles on and uh, pressures and responsibilities pile on, sometimes you can think to yourself, oh, I'm strong now, I'm an adult now, I know what I'm doing now. If you think like that, you're, going, you, you're headed for a fall. The, the, what you've got to say to God is, Lord, your, your strength is going to be enough for me uh, uh, because you express your strength in prayer but also in, in, in the friends and family that I've got around me in the church. And, 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 and so the way I stay on an even keel is, is to be honest about myself and about the pressure. We all know what it's like with COVID over the last 18 months. We've all been through the wars. We're all exhausted and it's okay. We, we, we don't have to make excuses for that. But when we're in need, we need to ask for help from each other. And so that's what I do now. And, 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 and I, I, 
and I remember, you know, first time I ever had a sleepless night with anxiety, you think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to fall asleep again. You, you get all panicky. And then you talk to people who've been through this and you realize, actually, we can help each other. So the way I stay on an even keel now is by remembering that I'm not on my own, by sharing with people and, and not being afraid to admit that I'm vulnerable, and by receiving strength from friends and colleagues and also strength in prayer from God. That's, that's, it's not rocket science, but that's what I try to do. Mm, fantastic. You, you talked, Bishop, about your kind of coming to faith and your route into ordained ministry. I, I wonder if you could share with us what, what keeps you walking closely with Jesus today? It's it, it, all my life. So, so the, the, I've been ordained as a, as a Christian minister now 42 years, and, and, and before that, three or four years training. So for those 45 years, I've been reading the Bible every day. And, and, uh, uh, and the, 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 Bible is the, the Bible is the foundation of our faith, and it's the foundation of my faith. And you read these stories, you know, we just talked about struggle, my own struggle, you know, you may have struggles. You read in the Bible, blow me down, it's full of people who've got struggles. And you read that God is faithful. And you don't read about heroes who never had a problem. You read about St. Peter or you read about David. You, you read about people whose own lives perhaps were broken, but God fixed them. And, 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 and so the, 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 those, that, that constant return to the stories of the Scripture is, is, is the thing that's been my, my heartbeat in my own spirit through those 45 years of, of, my, of my Christian walk. And, 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 and that without that, you, you begin to, you, your feet slowly leave the ground and you don't even know it, you know. So the two, the two things that keep my feet on the ground are constantly going back to the Bible and then constantly trying to see what God is doing in the world. God never changes. The world is changing all the time. So in this changing world, what's God up to? Well, you go back to what God did in the Bible and you see if that's what happened then, what's happening now? What's God doing now given that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever? And, and those two things, trying to watch what's happening in the world and, and trying to stay rooted in the Scripture, that, that those are the two things that have accompanied me uh, all, all through my own Christian life. And so what is it that you see Jesus doing in the world at the moment? So, so we, we know what it's like in the world at the moment. We're all shattered because of the, because of the illness that's been amongst us. The Archbishop of Canterbury says it's the biggest upheaval in England since the Second World War, and I believe that. So everything's upside down, and as you know, we've, we, 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 we saw this with the poor boy who, who, who died, uh, you know, who made the bomb, and who knows what he was trying to do, and then he died, and and, 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 we, and we see the risk when something like that happens. The whole of society can become fractured. And we can say, you know, the, 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 all the evil is over there inside that taxi. All the evil's over there. And we're going to be good. And these people, are, all that stuff, the pressure that the world is under, it, it, it can produce fractures. Uh, but the Christian family are called to do something else. And if you read Scripture, and if you look at the way the church works, and I look at this church which at nine o'clock I said was a, a flagship church in our diocese, and I say that to you, holding together faith in Jesus and a struggle for justice and welcome. 
then you can see what it might mean to stand against the kind of evil that would fragment our society. So you look around, you see bad things happening. People are exhausted. Many people have died before they should because of COVID. There's all kinds of anger. Populist leaders are standing up and saying, follow me and we can all hate all these people over there. All that is, is, is enough to depress you. But God is faithful, and, and, and as it says in the Scripture, greater is the one who is with us than the one that is with the world. And so my faith is in that, and as I look around and see the witness of people in all of our churches and schools and the diocese, I am assured that God's Spirit is still working around the place. And that keeps me faithful, it keeps me in the Christian family, and it keeps me enormously proud of being in the Diocese of Liverpool. Fantastic. So, Bishop, as a, as a vicar, people think that I only work on Sundays. <laughs> You're a bishop, and you don't have a church to go to. So what do you do? Yes, in fact, you know, I work a one-day week, but the trouble is no one's ever told me which day it is, so I have to work every day just in case. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a funny old job being a bishop. You, 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 you're responsible for, for the area, of course, for the diocese, and we all know our, our diocese is the city of Liverpool, but the city's only one-third of the diocese, Southport, Wigan, Warrington, St. Helens, Widnes, uh, all, all those towns and the, the space in between, Ormskirk, Winnick, places like that, and, and, and then back up the river and you're back in the city, the 1.6 million people. Within the churches, 20-odd thousand people. Within the schools, between 30 and 38,000 kids. And, 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 and I'm not responsible for all those places because outstanding leaders of the church, like your own leaders, are responsible for the local church. But I pray for them. That's the main thing I try to do. And you know what? You can pray Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday when it's your day off, Saturday and Sunday. So that's the main thing I do. I travel around the churches, I try to say hello to people and catch up with people. When things happen, such as happened uh, re recently with this boy in the, in the taxi, I, I try and say the churches stand together, the different faiths stand together, the faith communities stand together with our civic leaders. We stand together, we're not going to be divided. So I've got that what you might call public ministry. And then on top of that, they pile on all the stuff you've got to do in London. So, uh, as, 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 as James said a minute ago, I was admitted to the House of Lords last Monday, um, uh, which, is, which is just for the last few months of my ministry here. But also, we had the General Synod on Tuesday, where the Queen was meant to come, but she wasn't very well, so uh, one, one of her kids came to read the speech. That there's all that stuff that you do nationally, trying try to speak the gospel into England, the unchanging gospel into changing England, and trying to work out how that works. That takes a few days a week. Then, then I try and read the Bible, like I said, try and work out what to say when I come to the churches. All in all, it adds up to a, a, a kind of three quarters of a job, really. And the rest of the time, I just look busy. <laughs> Fantastic. So, th that's it. Your job's a bit mad then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But then so am I, so it fits very well. Yeah, yeah. So, so in and amongst all of um, all these kind of different and diverse contexts and spaces that you've got to work, what, what are the things that you think regularly kind of bring you joy and hope in the work that you do? 
It, the, 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 the risk with this job is that you get all isolated. You know, I've got this whacking great big house. It doesn't belong to me. I share it with all my colleagues. I've got th three or four people who work in there with me. But it is, you couldn't describe it as a shack. Uh, and, 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 you know, the place I'm going to retire to is a little tiny um, uh, uh, terraced house with the same footprint as the hall in Bishop's Lodge. You know, so it's easy if you're not careful, I said earlier, for your feet to leave the ground. And, and it's easy to lose touch. The, the thing that roots me is being able to meet people like you. Uh, in particular, it's being able to go to those of our churches right across the diocese, not just in the city, that, that are serving areas of deprivation where ordinary men and women are, are, are just working away, keeping the heartbeat of the gospel going. So that lifts my heart. It lifts my heart to do confirmations when people are coming to faith in their own right, as it were, as adults. They're giving their lives again to Christ. They're making a statement. And because that's happening, you don't have to do that anymore. So each of them is taking that step. And, and it's infectious that. You say, you say to them, well, why are you doing that? They explain it to you. You think, I remember it was like that for me all those years ago. So a lot of my job gives me the opportunity to connect with people on the ground. And if it were not for people on the ground, what would be the point of having bishops? So, so it's, it's th th those are the things that light, that light me up, really. And, that, and, th and those are the things that I'm going to miss as, as and when I retire. And, 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 and uh, uh, in terms of my, you know, the welcome I received when I came here as bishop was overwhelming. People are so kind. And, 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 and in their kindness, you get a glimpse of the face of Jesus. And that's enough to keep me going, or has been enough to keep me going f for these years here. Fantastic. And as you, as you approach the end of your time as Bishop of Liverpool, I've, I've been asked to ask you, what, what do you consider to be your kind of biggest achievement or the thing in your ministry at the moment that's brought you the most satisfaction? <laughs> yeah. I'm having to have a think because the, what I've tried to do, I, I, I say sometimes about leadership, it's about two things, leadership. It's about singing a song and getting a grip. Sometimes you need to get a grip, you know, get things organized, make sure that everything's happening in ship shape. If, if someone steps out of line, perhaps in terms of their personal life, you, you sometimes have to, 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 to help them get back in line. All that getting a grip stuff. But singing a song, singing the song of the gospel is one of the things that all Christians do. But, 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 but as I look back on my own time here, it's the, it, it, it's, the, it's the times when I've been able to sing the gospel song that I have felt that I've been doing the, the thing that I came here to do. So in the Diocese of Liverpool, we say, we're asking God for a bigger church to make a bigger difference. And we say, more people knowing Jesus, more justice in the world. When I first came, we didn't use those words, but we were a Jesus and a justice people, same as you always were, which is why when I was introduced to the diocese, I was introduced here next door in the food bank at St. Andrews because I wanted it to be clear that I was going to be a Jesus and justice guy. So singing that song, the song of the gospel, over and over again, and, and what I've just said to you, I'm going to say it again, and you'll know that it's word for word. What do we do in Liverpool Diocese? We're asking God for a bigger church to make a bigger difference, more people knowing Jesus, more justice in the world. I feel a bit like Jerry and the pacemakers. You know, we've been singing that song now for 30 years, and, and, and it's still the same old song. But, but the singing of that song is what I have tried to do in Liverpool. 
and the new bishop will come, they may want to sing a slightly different song, but it will be the same thing, it will be the gospel, it will be the Jesus justice gospel. And having had the privilege to sing that song here for eight years is, is the thing that if people, if people, what I hope people will say was, we had Bishop David, he was great. And we had Bishop James, and he was fantastic and did great work with Hillsborough. Then there was a tall guy, and now we've got Bishop, whoever the next bishop is. And if someone says, well, what did that tall guy do? If, if someone says, well, he, he kept on talking about Jesus and justice, I'll settle for that. Hmm. That'll do, won't it? Someone was going to clap then, weren't they? That, that's, a, that's a very beautiful and inspiring thing to hear from our bishops. So thank you for making that the heartbeat of your time as bishop. Amongst that, one of the, the big themes of your time as Bishop of Liverpool has been inclusion and particularly um, speaking out um, for the LGBT community. Why has that, why's that been so important to you as bishop? That's a great question. No, nobody, the, the agendas come to you, you know, the, 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 the things come to you, you don't go looking for them. So Bishop David Shepherd. He, he, he did faith in the city, and then there were the riots, Toxteth riots, some of you were, were here then. And, and he stepped up with Archbishop Warlock and started to speak out for, for the poor. And he found himself in hot water down in London, people were calling him a Marxist and all that stuff. He didn't ask for that agenda, but he inhabited it. Bishop James came, and, and he didn't ask to carry forward the Hillsborough work with the independent panel. But he was asked to do it, and he stepped up and he did it. And again, he, it, it took him away from a diocese. Sometimes it was hard work, it was extra stuff, it came to him. What I tried to do is to be there for people who were on the edge of things. Initially, that's people who are on the edge of things because they're poor, financially poor, or because they're of the wrong race, and people are attacking them for their race, or, or because in the, in, the, in the early days of my ministry, uh, uh, th there was a lot of discrimination against women in the church and more generally. Of course, there still is a lot of that around. So it's people who are on the edge of things. And then the agenda comes to you. And the agenda that came to me when I said, I want to stick up for people who are on the edge of things, was that some of the people who were on the edge of things were people who were lesbian, gay, bi, trans, LGBT people. And uh, one of the congregations here in our city is open table down there at St. Bride's. And, and, and I was asked to go and speak to them. And, and I met these people, some of whom, when they walk down the street, they face violence for being the people that they are. But they tried to be faithful to God in their different ways. And, and they were expressing love and faithfulness through the way they lived their lives. And I was learning from them. So I said that. And if you say stuff like that, sometimes it attracts a little bit of opposition. Um, um, but it just seemed to me, I didn't think to myself, what can I do to be a real pain in the backside of the church? I know, I'll stick up for the LGBT community. I didn't think that. I thought, what does it mean if you're there for everybody? And I preached my very first sermon over there in the cathedral 2014. I talked about God's table and how that table went down every street and into every home and how it was made by a poor carpenter, that's Jesus, and how you could sit at that table and anybody would be welcome at that table. And then I went to see Open Table. I didn't know Open Table existed when I preached about the table. But then I thought, actually, the table's there for these people as well. And so I began to speak and still do speak. But I try never to speak out for any particular group that's on the edge of things without saying what we're there for is all those who are on the edge of things. But I'm not ashamed that that group includes 
people who are LGBT because within the wider church, not only in England but around the world, if you're an LGBT Christian, it can be very difficult. And so I just felt it was important for me to say there's room for you at the table as well. Fantastic. Just continuing down that theme, one of the things the church has struggled to do in some parts is to relate faithfulness to scripture and inclusion and welcome of people who are part of the LGBT community. How have you, how have you managed that? How do you reconcile that? That's a great question, James. Thank you. I said earlier that I try to read the Bible every day and, and, and have done for 45 years. The, the, the Bible's like a foundation. It doesn't get any bigger. The Bible is fixed. Um, God has given us that as a gift. And then, we are, and then we're called to be there for the world that, that God loves. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we've got the Bible and we've got the world and we've got to bring those two things together. So someone said uh, from America just a few weeks ago, not about these particular issues, but about the issue of slavery. If you read the Bible, it says things like, slaves, be obedient to your masters. It, 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 it talks about slavery without being particularly critical of it. And yet, as, as the church has thought about slavery over the years, and, and in this country, of course, it was Christians in particular who fought against the institution of slavery, you take the Bible and you apply it to the world, and somehow the Holy Spirit speaks through the church. And so now, it, it, you, you would be strapped to find a Christian who says, slavery is a good thing, let's all enslave each other. It doesn't work like that. It's not because the Bible has changed. It's because the word in the Bible about freedom and about love has been seen by the church to apply in this area as well. Same thing happened in, in terms of the place of women in ministry. Same thing happened in terms of divorce. My dad was divorced and, and, and uh, then married my mum as his second wife uh, in, in the 1940s. And I was born in 1953. My mum was not allowed to be in the mother's union because d d the, 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 the wives of divorced men were not allowed to be in the mother's union. We've learned since then that actually sometimes marriages can break. It's not a good thing. Uh, the, 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 the Bible is clear that faithfulness is the right thing. But nonetheless, we've decided that people should have rights of conscience in local churches as to whether or not they marry someone who's got a previous partner still living. Things change over time. The Bible doesn't change. But as you study it, in the light of who's on the edge of things now, sometimes the church changes its practice. At the moment, I, as a bishop, it is my responsibility to keep the laws of the church as they are. So I don't bend the laws and say, oh, well, if you're a same-sex married vicar, you can come to Liverpool. Don't do that. The church as a whole must speak and decide what it believes. But in our generation, it seems to be this particular issue. And through living in love and faith and different, different ways, different Christians are having opinions about that and sharing them with one another. I hope honestly and I hope lovingly with each other. My own view is that is that, that same faithfulness and stability and joy that you see in the best marriages, marriage is fantastic. Because it's so good, why can't everybody have a go? And therefore, if you are a same-sex attracted person, it seems to me that it would be great if the church could honor and affirm and recognize your union. And yes, one day, maybe that it would be able to bless it. That's what I advocate for. Not because I'm ignoring bits of the Bible, 
but because I'm trying to apply the Bible to what's happening in society today. And I believe that's what we're always called to do. So that's how I managed to try to hold those two things together, James. Thank you. That's really helpful. You mentioned that the world is changing. And as the church, we have to stay relevant and engaged to this kind of change and changing world. What do you think, on a different note, the priorities of the local church need to be as we seek to serve and care for our communities? Thank you. I mean, at the moment in the diocese, we're saying um, um, there's, four, there's four priorities. You need to introduce people to Jesus. You need to deepen your discipleship. You need to encourage Christian leaders, and you need to work for justice. Those are the four things. And so, so that's not just the responsibility of the local church. It, it's everybody's responsibility. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, always be ready with an explanation if anybody asks you why it is that you're so hopeful. Now, now that, it feels to me that what God is saying through that verse is, for a start, it helps to be hopeful. And sometimes people don't feel very hopeful. It doesn't look as if the world's going the right way. Things seem to be all going wrong, but the hope we have rests in God. If you're hopeful, people might then start to say to you, hey, why are you so hopeful? At that point, you remember what it says in the Bible, and you've got an explanation for it. That's all that's involved in introducing people to Jesus. You don't have to have the answer to every question. You don't even have to be able to say, I know the vicar, he's got an answer to every question. Having answers to questions is not the point. The point is, is Jesus alive? And if Jesus is alive and you know Jesus, and someone asks you why you're so hopeful, you tell them it's because of Jesus, that's the first thing. Local churches are called to do that as communities. And communities do whatever you do, alpha, or you, do, you write your own course, or you do things where you just talk to your friends about God. That, 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 that sense of a local community being a heartbeat for the name of Jesus Christ and not being ashamed to name that name, not always shouting it at people, but whenever people ask, being able to speak it, that's one. Secondly, deepen in discipleship. And we do that in, in our rule of life in the diocese. We say that we're called by God and sent by God. We're called by God to pray and read and learn, to pray and I always say to people, if you, if, if you don't know any other prayer, pray the Our Father. Jesus taught us that one. Pray. And to read, and I mean by that to read the Bible, and to learn, to learn from each other. And then we're sent, and we're sent to tell people about Jesus and to serve. That's the bit about justice. And to give, that's the bit about discipleship. Not just giving you money, but giving your life and, and giving your time and, and saying, what can I do to be closer to Jesus? Thirdly, we're lifting up leaders, and you've got some fab leaders in this church, not only the ordained clergy, but those who lead all different aspects of the work here. And you've got friends, and you might think, you know, this person could be a great leader in the church, but normally when you say that to people, they say, oh, it couldn't possibly be me. Well, that's just baloney. God wants to raise up lots of different people, and God wants us to encourage each other so that people enter into their dignity as Christian leaders. And so that's the third one. And the fourth one is working for justice, which in this church, I don't need to teach you about that. You know what it's like to feed the poor. You know what it's like to give debt advice. You know what it's like to be there for your neighbor if that person can't get out and needs the shopping done. You know what it's like to be there for someone who's got no friends in the country, who can hardly speak English. You know what it's like to be there for people. Those four things, we've thought of them, but, but there's nothing new about them. They're all there in the gospel. 
And, 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 and I would say every local church is called to do those things. And I would say, as I said at nine o'clock, I honor you because those things are what you do. And I don't have any brand new shiny things for you to do that you're not doing already. Because if you keep on doing what you're doing, you'll be covering those four bases and I'll be really proud of you. Fantastic. And what, what comes next for you, Bishop, as you finish? Have you got a vineyard marked out that you're going to go and sit in or a sunny seat? I've got a sofa. I'm going to lie on them. <laughs> when the, it, it, we're all tired and we need, to keep, we need to keep serving each other as best as we can, but we also need to give each other space for a rest. When, all the eight years I've been here, when, when clergy have come to the moment of their retirement, I've tried to say to them, give yourself six months. D don't fill up your diary. Uh, give yourself six months just to take, not, not to do nothing, but just to breathe, read the Bible, take it easy, look around, have a rest. And, and people have come back to me and said, I didn't realize how tired I was until I, I laid down the burden of my work. Not just, not just clergy, but anybody who's had a work in life, and then you come to the end of your work in life. And some people try and fill that time so that they stay busy. And, and I don't think that's wise. I think you do need to have a rest. So my plan is to have a rest. So, so my retirement date is the 2nd of March. So March, April, May, June, July, August. If you listen very carefully, you'll be able to hear me snoring in Bath because Bath is where I'm retiring to, God willing. Um, um, and, and then at the end of that time, I'll wake up and, and I'll look around and say, maybe God's got something for me. You, you know, those of you who are already retired, there's an active time of retirement. God gives people different lengths of time. There's an active retirement. There's a kind of slowing down retirement where you turn more to prayer. And then there's a sedentary retirement where you sit down and people can come and flip him while feed you. So I'm looking forward to all those three phases. But in my active retirement, I'm looking forward to serving the Lord, but I don't know how yet because I'm going to have that good rest before I work that out. Great. And how can we be praying for you as you come towards the end of your time as bishop and transition into retirement? Thanks very much. So I've got three months to go, and, and um, I want to be able to hand on the diocese, you know, that people are already w w working out what they might want in a new bishop. Of, of, of Liverpool, and there will be a process, and, and people will be asked to contribute to that. So, you, you, one of the ways you could pray is, is, to, is to pray for that, not just for me, but for the future, and then contribute and, and, and let people know what you think ab ab about that. If, if you pray for me that I can let go of things and, and not try and hold on to them or be a bit of a control freak, but, but also, this business with the House of Lords, you know, Bishop James and Bishop David before him were in the House of Lords for years and years and years. For me, it's all brand new. So at the age of 68, uh, uh, with only a few months to go before I retire, uh, I'm in a completely new situation down there. So you can pray that I can make the most, you know, you, I won't have a chance to do much there, but I'm going to try and speak for Jesus and for the region. And, 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 and if you can pray that I can have the wisdom to do that properly, and then just pray when the moment comes for me to lay down the responsibility. On the 12th of February in the cathedral, we're having a service. I hope you can all come. And, and, and in it, I carry the big stick that you get in the cathedral. And I'll put it down on the altar. And then I'll get a little stick, which is my own. And I'll walk out with that. And I, and I, and I just pray that the Lord will give me the grace to trust 
you and all the others in the diocese to carry that gospel forward so that I can slip away and, and start a new chapter of my life. If you give, pr pr pray that the Lord will give me grace to do that with a really light-hearted way, th then I'd be really grateful. Great. Let's, um, let's pray for Bishop Paul now, shall we? Let's pray. I'll give you a, a moment of quiet to offer up your own prayers for Bishop Paul. Jesus, we thank you so much for Bishop Paul. We thank you uh, for his time, not just as uh, Bishop of Liverpool, but as um, an ordained leader, as a friend and a follower of you. And Jesus, we thank you um, for his faithfulness in speaking out on your behalf, on talking about you, sharing your name, on working to try and increase justice not just in our city, but in our region and in our country. Uh, Jesus, we thank you and we bless you um, for these final months. God, would you make them um, fruitful and effective? Jesus, we pray for this new platform in the House of Lords. God, would you uh, accomplish more than Bishop Paul could ask, think, or imagine according to your spirit at work in him? And Jesus, we pray um, for the transition out of being a bishop for the laying down of a big stick and the picking up of a small one. God, we pray that in that transition and in that time, you would uh, show him that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, that you would bring him your joy, your grace, your peace, and your love. And we pray to Jesus for the discerning of the next um, phase of uh, his journey with you. Lord, we trust that you've guided him uh, this far and that you're going to continue to speak and to guide to him. And Bishop Paul, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he's shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once more into our doors. Amen. Let's give the Bishop a round of applause, shall we? <laughs>